Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and I've got two guys on with me, Norman Horn, and somebody you haven't heard before. His name is Eric Lindborg, and he is going to introduce himself, but I just want to preface his introduction by saying he has been a tremendous asset to LCI. You haven't really heard his voice or seen him publish anything on our site, but he is very instrumental in us getting some things done this year. So Eric, introduce yourself. Who are you and where can people find you? Because you have a special place on the internet. I'll let you tell people about it. Yeah, thanks, Doug. I'm really excited to be here. I'm on the co-host of a gaming enthusiast program called The Gamertarians, which is focused towards libertarians and reaching people with libertarian thought who are also really interested in playing various video games, uh, maybe board games, stuff like that. So you can find us at Gamertarians.com. Check us out on Twitch and, and YouTube. We stream uh, Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern. And you know, professionally, my background is in like continuous improvement and trying to make things better wherever work is done. And that's what we've been focusing on here at LCI. And it's been awesome to journey with you guys and, and try to uh, improve our capability. And it's, it's only going to get better from here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well... It's been a pleasure to have you uh, this year, basically on weekly calls. And one of the things that we often do when we're not, you know, really getting down to business of LCI is we tend to talk about pop culture and art and some of the things that we've been consuming. And it, we thought it would be really fun to have the three of us basically do an episode where we talk and share with the audience, what should you be watching or listening to while you're maybe going back into shutdown or like there's just a lot more time in 2020 to watch TV for and, and shows <laughs> and and listen to stuff like I maybe this is like four months overdue yeah man, man I would have wish I would have had this in April kind of thing but we we hope that you can enjoy hearing us talk about you know certain things that we're watching and listening to so let's jump in with probably the weirdest show that could have been watched early on in the shutdown time. It came out on Netflix. It was very popular. I, I even know people who just simply refused to watch it because they, they didn't want to. But like, I, I couldn't get any more memes until I watched the show. And that's <laughs> that's uh, like, there's just so many memes that came out. I'm like, I can't laugh at anything that's on Facebook right now. So I have to watch <laughs> the Tiger King. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you, are, if you are disinclined to watch the show, the libertarian hook is that we believe in private ownership, and this is a testament to private ownership in, uh, I guess, critical way. Norman, do you want to give us your your thoughts on Tiger King first? <laughs> well, we first should probably say, like, what is the Tiger King? And I think it, it's kind of it can be summarized as the weirdest show I have seen in the last couple of years. Uh, <laughs> it's a, a mini documentary series about the private ownership of tigers and basically big cats and kind of the culture that surrounds that, including some of the biggest, shall we say, pseudo celebrities, if you will, in that space. The big one being Joe Exotic in Oklahoma, who's the titular Tiger King, if you will, <laughs> who ended up 
and it ends up the story ends up with him in prison by the end of it for an attempted i guess plot to murder it's absolutely wild and you know it's it's so strange the way in which they even tell the story it frankly kind of plays upon your emotions in a, in a way that i'm not i'm not even sure i really like at times but it was really really interesting and especially in as much as we think as libertarians that you know it's rather heroic to go after the preservation of a, of an entire species you know namely the tigers and big cats in many respects are you know, I mean, they're on endangered species list for, for a reason. Well, you know, the way you get a species not endangered, put them into private ownership. And in fact, the irony of it is that by the end of it, you even see like there's a statement by at least, I think it's in the final episode that at the beginning of the century, there was something like less than 2000. I mean, there's some, some very small number, very small number of tigers in the world. Let's just say, I don't remember the exact number. Then it says, well, at this point in time, uh, there's now like, some crazy number of more of these big cat animals in private ownership. And it's like, we're, we're led in the show to almost wonder like, this is a bad thing. I mean, we're certainly, we're certainly led to believe that that's the way it's supposed to be by, you know, Carol Baskin, that it's a bad thing, which is kind of the strange, I don't know. Is she a villain? Is she a hero? I don't know. It's like everybody's bad in the show, but it's kind of a train wreck <laughs> that you just can't stop watching. Uh, it's it's that's really exactly hilarious. what someone told me when they told me that they just couldn't not keep watching. It, it's really it's like, really bizarre, and but it's it's a story that's told well. I mean, yeah, it is it, as much as I said it plays upon your emotions, and I'm not sure I like it in that respect. But it also it is what keeps you watching. So, I mean, you can't help but but have uh, a form of sympathy for almost every character at some point in the show. It's like, that's, it's like if if National Geographic, Jerry Springer, professional yeah. wrestling, <laughs> oh my word. you know, and Law and Order <laughs> had a baby. <laughs> yeah, it would you be know? the Tiger King. Yeah, that's just yeah. about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jerry Springer definitely has to play very prominently in that. Yeah, it's <laughs> oh like. My if, word. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like sure. it's like sixty five percent Jerry Springer, you know, twenty five percent National Geographic, and ten percent Law and Order. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's really funny and totally worth a watch. What do you think the average person's view of a libertarian will be after watching it? Oh, geez, yeah, that that's, that's a really good question. <laughs> well, it depends on it depends on if they uh, if they remember what what the the gentleman who uh, was, was the campaign manager. Uh, yeah. <laughs> during, I, I'm not sure I want to spoil that though. <laughs> what do they think of him? <laughs> it, it is worth watching for sure. Eric, do you have any other thoughts? No, I thought it was uh, definitely some one of my good close friends was like, "You trust me, right? You need to watch this." And and, <laughs> and so uh, I just I watched it at his recommendation and it, it was definitely held my attention the way they told the story there's twists and turns to it and the fact that it's not fiction is always keeping you on the edge of your seat you know because this happened yeah i think that was the thing for me it's like wait this really went on and one of the things that i noticed was that well she's no better than him right yeah <laughs> like why are people supposed to be on her side as opposed to his like i can understand why they wouldn't like him or whatever but like yeah this this it's just really nice because uh everybody's a villain and everybody's the hero in some like sort of likable sense all right so tiger king that's one thing listeners should watch 
We so couldn't do this from, episode without talking about Tiger. Oh, like, that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So let's go from Tigers to Bulls. So Eric, you've been watching The Last Dance. <laughs> yeah, I you know noticed that it was trending on on Netflix, and I probably would have watched it had I known it was out there anyway. Just because as a kid growing up in Chicago, uh, late eighties, early nineties, two things mattered to me in, in life: Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And this is not Chicago related, but uh, Star Trek and the Next Generation. I was like, those were, <laughs> those were like Jean-Luc Picard and, and Michael Jordan were, you know, my heroes. And this was a, it's like a 10 part documentary. You're looking at probably like a 10 hour commitment to consume it all. But, you know, now that I'm an adult, I was seeing things from a whole different perspective mm. on the inside the drama around uh, the management side of the team that I, you know, completely unaware of. I remember very clearly one birthday I got a, a box and it was a, the box was the air Jordans, you know? And I was like, haha, you know, what's inside the box. Ooh. And it was air freaking Jordans. And it was like from a classmate, you know, turns out, you know, her dad like ran a shoes company or something. So maybe he had like a the hookup, but still it was like this, you know, awesome moment. Like it was a cultural phenomenon became a worldwide phenomenon, you know, where he was really, an ambassador for American culture worldwide because of his, his fame, you know, the dream mm. team when they went to the Olympics. And I guess one thing that was just, just front and center that was impressive to me was like the absolute focus on excellence, just being competitive on everything from cards in the back of the plane, but also, you know, not a perfect, Man, you know, they talked a little bit about the the gambling scandal, but you know, the tremendous adversity he had to overcome when his father was killed. I don't know if you remember that part, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but his father was killed, and he shared that with his teammate Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr's father was actually like uh, the president of American University in Beirut, and he was killed by some some militants there, you know, and like. They, I guess they never like talked about it, but like there was this like respect and understanding between them because I know they both shared that that agony. So mm. really what stood out from a cultural perspective was like Michael Jordan was always very, uh, I would say, respectful. He practiced amazing sportsmanship. He wanted to be the star, but what Phil Jackson really helped him realize was if you want to win championships, you have to involve the team. The team is there to help you out, to help you shine. And the documentary did a great job through interviews. And I loved where they would take like a clip of something they had just interviewed, like Isaiah Thomas for the Detroit Pistons. And they were so, the rivalry there was so strong. And Bill Lambeer, I don't know if you remember, there was an old Nintendo game called Bill Lambeer's Combat Basketball <laughs> because they, they, they just introduced so much physicality into the court that it was a brawl. And, you know, refs didn't call stuff back then that they would call now. You know, they just went at it. And Detroit, when uh, they lost, to the Bulls, they walked out without, you know, congratulating them. And the two times before that the Bulls had beaten them, you know, they showed great sportsmanship and just saying, you know, congratulations and being losers that were gracious. And that was not present in the Pistons. So hmm. really cool stuff like that that I never saw before. 
I would say definitely worth a watch, especially if you remember any part of that time. You get a lot of inside information, and, and all the players get interviewed. It's so fun to see them talk about that time. So why is it called The Last Dance? Because management said, as Kraus, I think is his name, the, the team manager, he had such great conflict with Phil Jackson that when he came back to coach, Phil Jackson came, came to coach, they started the season by saying, this is your last season. Like, no questions asked. Mm. Like, no further discussion. And so Phil Jackson got the team together and was like, all right, guys, we're going to enjoy the, the last dance together. And that's what they called it. He you know, Phil gave it that name, and they treated it like that. And, and Michael was very clear, I'm not going to play for another coach. And they still uh, followed through with the plan, mm. which is crazy. You know, it talks about his baseball. You know, he stepped away for baseball for a little bit. And it, none of it made yeah. sense at the time as a kid. And now I get a lot more context to it. You know, his father was killed and he was really distracted. And I've learned so much about Dennis Rodman that I just had no respect for that guy before. And, you know, they do a really good job of, of framing him up as a character uh, that adds a lot of detail that I never knew before. Awesome. So I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, all right, I want my 12-year-old son to watch this with me. And it occurred to me that I don't know if it's something that's age appropriate. What would you what would you say to that? <laughs> uh, first <laughs> of all, I would say Google it and okay. <laughs> look at some of the, uh, you know, I think it's called like consumer media because I look, at, I look stuff up all the time when yeah. I'm not sure for my kids. In my own vacuum, I would say if you can handle... The cursing, to my recollection, there's like no nudity and, and there's not mention of like, even though they, they allude to drug use and, and, and other yeah. okay. sexual deviancies, it doesn't go into a lot of details. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then we'll let that serve. I, I brought that up for a reason because we don't want to encourage people to watch something without doing due diligence. And that probably is also the case for Tiger King. Actually, oh, it's definitely yeah. the case for definitely Tiger King. Definitely the case for Tiger King. So yeah. listeners, do due diligence. So that was that was my lead up for that. So <laughs> yeah. For Absolutely. sure. So Eric, listening to you talk about the Chicago Bulls gives me a little bit of a sense of nostalgia because I was, while I did not grow up in Chicago or nearby, I was a big Chicago Bulls fan. And I did not have a pair of Air Jordans to my recollection, at least not Maybe I did. I don't remember. But I do remember a kid in my class who did. And it was just like, oh, okay. So <laughs> that that whole, just you talking about it, it's like, ah, oh, there's nostalgia. Yeah. And, you know, something else that's nostalgic is watching like period shows where you like go back and, you know, like Mad Men is one of them. And like, you know, there's these shows set in the distant past, like even maybe before, you know, our parents were alive or maybe very, very young. One of the shows that I've recently watched, and this happened, it came out the end of March, I believe, on HBO. And I had subscribed to HBO to watch a different show. And then I saw that this was on there. I was like, oh, that looks interesting. I watched the trailer. And it's called The Plot Against America. It was a book written in 2004 by Philip Roth, and it is an alternate history. So this is set in 1940. It is not meant to be real because it features Charles Lindbergh as becoming president. And it's a miniseries on HBO. It's six episodes. They're about an hour long. It's not a huge time commitment. It is well worth it. So it comes out in late March of 2020. And if you're listening far into the future about this episode, then March of 2020 was when most of the states started to shut down because of COVID. And 
I watched it probably in early April. And at that point, there was a lot of unknowns. And so watching this while on sort of this shutdown, I'm in Pennsylvania and we were pretty significantly shut down in Pennsylvania, was a very interesting experience. And I'll explain why here as I explain what this show is about. It's an alternate history told from the perspective of a 10-year-old Jewish boy. His name is Philip Levin. He's living with his working class family in New Jersey near New York City. And the larger political setting is the rise of Charles Lindbergh. Now, Charles Lindbergh in the story, and I think he was actually kind of this way in real life. I didn't actually look that particular part up. He was kind of a xenophobic, anti-Semitic populist. And he becomes president and he turns the world towards fascism. Now, this happens over the course of like six episodes. I'm not giving anything away because the story really is about this family. The story is about this 10-year-old boy and his observations of his father and how his father interacts with his uncle and also how his aunt is becoming enthralled with his other Jewish, with this Jewish rabbi who is enthralled with Charles Lindbergh and just doesn't believe that he is an anti-Semite and becomes very much enwrapped in what he is, is saying. And he says, you know, the idea is that the phrase America first is coming up. And some people kind of accuse the show creator of HBO, David Simon, of sort of hijacking what Trump was doing in 2016 and sort of reimposing it back into the 40s. And he says in a podcast that I listened to, basically there was a podcast on it on each episode, that it's actually in the 40s that the phrase America first was brought up. And so he, he can't really be accused of sort of drawing the Charles Lindbergh ties. So the weird thing is, is that you can clearly see how the Lindbergh character, and he isn't a main character in the story. He's sort of mentioned, I mean, you can kind of see him in some sense, but he's mentioned, he's talked about a lot. He's the, you know, he's the big shadow, the big elephant in the room. And so there's very clear allusions to the likes of Donald Trump. And it's very clear what the show creator is doing it's not overbearing if you're inclined to, you know, like Donald Trump a little bit because, you know, Hillary would have been worse, whatever. I know some libertarians are like that and, you know, whatever. But it's it's not off-putting in my mind. It's very poignant. It's very much this is what happens when people don't recognize what's happening in front of them. And the themes of anti-Semitism, which are very, very subtle at first, and they grow and they grow. And then, you know, as the audience, you start to realize, oh my goodness, this is getting worse. And yet it doesn't, in an explicit sense, it's not getting worse. It's just, oh, well, we're doing this for, for your own good, or we're just giving Jewish people opportunities, or we're just, we're doing things so that, you know, we can integrate more rather than being, you know, just in New Jersey families or something like that. So, there's this family tension between the uncle and the father and also with the aunt, as I mentioned earlier. And what made this show particularly emotional for me in April of 2020 was essentially that the show gets more and more and more claustrophobic. Mm. And I don't know if it would have felt that way per se if COVID hadn't hit. I mean, this show was clearly meant to run, you know, it was planned to run before anything happened in terms of the pandemic. But I wonder if it would have had as strong of an appeal because here I was in Pennsylvania wondering every day what the governor was, you know, saying about what we were going to do for the next two weeks or whatever, and just extending the deadline and the legislators not being able to talk to our governor and it's just like, what is our recourse? What are we going to be able to do? And you can see those parallels in the show 
or the parallels, you can see the characters in the show try to figure out what they can do to, to stand up for their rights and for their, for their freedoms and their right to just be themselves, to just be a Jewish family in America in the 1940s. And, you know, Lindbergh in the show, he ran on a non-involvement in World War II. So there's just a lot going on there. And I don't want to give too much away because as much as you might think I'm giving enough away of the plot, I'm not. Because it is just a series about how one family is affected. And it is also a, a story about how we're all affected. And so there, there's the claustrophobia element that it just keeps getting more and more like, what are we going to do? Hmm. I'm going to leave it hanging there because the show is tremendously well done. I was also enjoying the podcast when I was biking because I like to watch the episode. You know, I'd watch it at night and then the next day I'd go biking and I would listen to the show creator, David Simon, talk with, I forget, I'm, I'm dropping on his name right now, but uh, it's the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me you know, interview him and talk about each episode. So it was just really neat to sort of engage with the creation of the show, which is why I know a little bit about some of the history behind it. So I strongly recommend this show, if only to demonstrate how evil can creep in and it affects real families and people don't think it's affecting them. They think what they're defending is good and, you know, of course, it's drama, it's scripted. And so we as the viewers are seeing, oh, it's clearly, it's obvious. And sometimes it's not in real life. And we have to be alert to noticing what's evil right in front of our eyes. Hmm. I'm definitely gonna have to watch it. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to put this one on my radar, you know, to take a look at, you know, one thing you said that kind of caught my attention is that you, uh, you noted the creators, David Simon, if some erudite listeners might know, that David Simon was also the creator of The Wire back in the uh, early 2000s. I knew that would get you hooked. I had yeah, to make sure is... I mentioned David Simon. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the not to go too far afield, I suppose, but I, I mean, I think The Wire, which, you know, disclaimer, it is, a, it is a very intense, definitely not for kids show. It's absolutely nuts, but it's maybe one of the best shows I've ever encountered ever, period, full stop. Like I, th- I hear I think that it's incredible. over and over. I need it's to take in- the time and watch it. It may be my favorite show, like television show ever. And that's saying wow. something because Eric, you, we'll throwing it back you know, to you for a sec here. You mentioned your love of Star Trek. Well, you know, you, you just made a huge fan out of my mother who is <laughs> undoubtedly listening and, uh, and she loves Star Trek too. And, and of course I do as well. But nonetheless, I'm, I still think The Wire surpasses pretty much everything. I also want to note and this, this show, Doug, sounds really interesting. I'm going to give uh, everybody a show to avoid. <laughs> for a there second. you go. That's helpful. That's really <laughs> Wait, helpful. I know where actually. this is going. He knows, You're going Doug knows where this is going. Alternate history. Speaking of alternative history. <laughs> yes, right. There's a show out there that you may have heard of. It's based on a Philip K. Dick novel. Uh, it was a science fiction author who's long departed from us called The Man in the High Castle. Oh. And it's an Amazon Prime show. <laughs> and I was super excited yep. to find out about it because it's alternative history. The premise being, in this case, that World War II was not won by the <laughs> Allied powers. That yeah. instead, the Axis won. And Germany and Japan have basically split the world to themselves. And the United, even the United States has three zones. You have the Japanese zone, 
the German zone and then a in the Rocky Mountains and kind of to the border of California and over to about Kansas or so is the neutral zone. <laughs> Pretty wild. But it's a very interesting show overall. And I was enthralled by it for about two seasons. But I will say like season three, but particularly season four, it got so bad in terms of storytelling. I don't know how they, they went from being doing really brilliant things, in my opinion, in the first two mm. seasons, to completely botching the whole job. I mean, unbelievably bad. To the point at which I was telling my parents, who had tried to watch it, and were like, oh, I'm not sure about this, and I'm in the middle of season one, I'm going like, no, you need to watch this. This is super cool. To by the oh. end of it, I went, I was like, no, just stop, just stop. This is so bad. Just stop. <laughs> it's that bad. So can, can you recommend maybe where... So I watched season one. I loved it. I, I pretty much, season. I really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, great, season two is out. And I, for some reason, I just never got to it. And then I started getting to it. And then like four months ago, you told me about the end of season four. And then about four months ago, you well, told me about clear, the I end didn't of tell you about the end of season four. I told you it was really bad. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> you didn't tell me about that. That's right. You told me that it wasn't great and yeah. really bad, right? And yeah. so I was like, oh. So I'm like, I kind of stopped mid-season two. So is there a point at which like, all right, if we stop at the end of oh, season man. two, do I have to feel like I keep going or does it? I mean, the problem is, is that all the questions that you have in the show, probably, and I know because I've had, I had the same ones, undoubtedly, mm. none of them are answered. Okay. And, this, and it's like, they, the storytelling goes off the rails. It goes completely counter to the way you think anything should go in storytelling, period. It doesn't make any right. sense. Well, I'll do one little, like, <laughs> I don't even know how to call this, but uh, I was listening to, I listened to The Reason Roundtable podcast and Nick Gillespie loved the ending. So really? somebody else actually liked it. I, I don't know. Maybe I just remember him saying that it ended nicely. I don't know if he was raving about it, but he wasn't upset at least. So I don't know. I'm going to have to listen to Nick because that just, yeah. like, that just blows my mind. I thought it was so bad. I, I just couldn't, I could not fathom yeah. how they got well, to that point. You basically like, I heard a little bit of what the end of was like when you were explaining it over the phone with us and it was like, eh, I don't really want to. So <laughs> I haven't gone back to it. Probably won't. So yeah, alternate history. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's going to become like a popular genre going forward. Like there's... <laughs> what would 2020 have been like without a pandemic? <laughs> well... <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Actually, you know what? I'm going to throw a um, call an audible here and say, I have this idea and I want to hear what you guys think about it. What oh, if no. there were a show... And the alternate history is that the American Revolutionary War was also legitimately about abolishing slavery in its core. Ooh. Like, it wasn't just freedom from Britain, but freedom from Britain and for the slaves. Whoa. Huh. Interesting. I don't know how that would play out because I'm not a screenwriter. I'd watch the first season and then hate the second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds very interesting. I, I think I like that would idea. be an interesting, like, exploration in what what would our world look like now if that had happened? Like, that's one of those things where like, do you remember that show? Is it not Signs? It was, um, it was uh, by Steven Spielberg. It was about like, 15 years ago. And it was about alien abductions. It was like a six-part miniseries on sci-fi. I can't remember the name of the show. I should but know anyway, that. 
It would. Yeah, this sounds like something I would know, but I don't. <laughs> I know I can't remember the name of it, but I remember. I re, I distinctly remember watching it when my son was like literally a month old, and my wife was like, "I need you to take care of him all through the night once because I need to rest." And so we hung out in the living room, and I slept beside him, and that's what I watched pretty much through the night, hoping he would be abducted. Hoping he would be. No, not back then. Um, <laughs> So anyway, the show itself, sorry, this is like way afield here, but like the show, every every episode of like six episodes was essentially a different generation and it spanned like over 100 years in how things changed over the course of several generations. So the kind of show I have in mind with my little revolutionary war slash, you know, abolition of slavery as well would be like, you know, how would this have affected things, you know? we likely would not have had a civil war. We likely would not have had certain presidents. You know, there'd just been a whole lot different if in our founding we had decided, no, all men are created equal. That includes the slaves. Like written, start, started from that point. So anyway. I like the idea. Yeah. Somebody somebody should do that. Maybe maybe write a screenplay. <laughs> I, I, if I were a story, So you I have a new show for me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, I do. Yes, sir, I do. <laughs> <laughs> all right inside so joke, we have yeah inside joke we have like two more well, shows to talk about right yeah something like that i, I do want to speaking of alternative history let's go let's go for an alternative future this is a <laughs> 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 i i do i do have uh what what a show that i absolutely you expand upon love. that please? I, I yeah exactly i will i will expand upon this show that is appropriately titled the expanse i love this show the expanse is about Placed in, let's say, about 200 years in the future, I think. I think that's about right. Where are there flying cars? There are indeed flying cars. In I was fact, promised flying mankind, cars. Mankind has expanded. And hoverboards. To, it, <laughs> <laughs> mankind, in this case, has expanded throughout the solar system. And it is a, I mean, I, I, you can't really call it a geopolitical series because it's more like interplanetary political. We don't even have a word for that yet because it doesn't exist. So at any rate, the series is, is about, I mean, really, it centers around the appearance of extraterrestrial life in the solar system. But you don't really quite understand what that is at first. And the, the revelation of everything that's around that is kind of like the fulcrum of the show. But it's everything that's around it that's really the, the super important stuff. The character development is awesome. The cast is is pretty terrific on their own. And you get a lot of different perspective on the way in which the culture, the politics, the economics, and the technologies all play themselves out in a way that is differently realistic than something like what we would expect in many other types of sci-fi shows. You don't have artificial gravity, for instance, like in the way you have in Star Trek. Gravity of, is, in as much as you even get it in space, is, is due to centripetal forces that they induce by spinning ships and whatnot. And then, of course, you just have magnets to keep people connected. At any rate, it's really, really fascinating. I can't really speak enough good things about it. It's definitely one of the most fun shows that I've encountered over the last few years. Season four was released on Amazon Prime a few months back. And man, it's great. I love the show. It's based on a book called Leviathan Wakes, and it has even, if you really enjoy the reading side of things more, the book is terrific as well. I've been able to go through the first one, and it has a whole lot more material, of course, in the books than you will encounter in the actual show. 
Uh, but a lot you'll recognize a number of familiar faces if you're a frequenter of science fiction series in various ways. And again, it's just super fun. Really enjoy the show. Is it over with season four? No, in theory, there should be more, but who knows when that's going to be at this point. So there's this yeah. seems to be this trend that we've just talked about, right? So where we don't it? know what shows are when shows are coming up no. again. <laughs> Man, no, Man of the High Castle. I would throw Westworld out there. I would throw Game of Thrones out there in their inability to end well. Okay? <laughs> well Do you yeah. think The Expanse is going to go down the same road? Because here you are. I love it. I love it. I was saying Do the House same of thing Cards about... Too. Yeah. And then some just lose all appeal to me and I just stop watching. So what are your predictions for The Expanse? Really hard to say. I mean, I, I would never have predicted Man in the High Castle to take to have taken the I mean, route. These are that shows that are based on books, too. Yeah, I know. Right? I know. They, they have endings written. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not flailing. Oh, what do we do? It was written. I heard that the Divergent movie series actually rescued the third book from its terrible ending. Oh. Like, <laughs> the movie had a better ending than the book. I didn't read the book, so... But but that's what I heard that people were like, oh, yeah, the, the book ended terribly and the movie was much better. <laughs> I have no idea about that one, man. But I'll tell you this, at least in as much as Expanse is concerned, the source material is all there as opposed to, say, Game of Thrones and as opposed to <laughs> Man in the High Castle where the He's authors, in jail now, right? His fans were going to lock him up, I heard. <laughs> something like that. But Man in the High Castle definitely took departures from the novel as I understand. And moreover, you know, Philip K. Dick is long dead. So they, they had to interpolate if they were going to mm -hmm. do anything at all. I don't know what happened there. I don't know how you go off the rails that badly in a show, to be honest. Like it makes no mm -hmm. sense to me at all, but that is what it is. Whereas the author, or rather I should say authors of Leviathan wakes and the expanse and so on and so forth. Uh, well, there's actually two that James S. A. Corey is the pen name of the two authors who I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, who wrote Leviathan Wakes in the whole series. Nonetheless, they're still obviously still alive and kicking. I don't think they're done with the series yet, so it's hard to know, but the series is so far behind where they're already at. I don't think that they have to worry too much about it. Mm. So anybody can get, make stuff go off the rails, but at least in this case, there is a lot more material to go if they really wanted to. And I actually would sort of trust these authors more than I would George R. R. Martin, I think. <laughs> Maybe that's why I really enjoyed... The Last Dance and Tiger King so much. It's like I wasn't relying on writers, yeah, to close the loop and tell a good story. Yeah, you know, right. it's just like, well, people are going to be people. I, I know what happens in the Last Dance. Bulls win. Can't wait to hear the details about that. How that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and with Tiger King, it's like, what's going to happen next? This is off script entirely. You know, and so it's just refreshing. Although, couldn't you say the Tiger King would be off anybody's predictable script the whole way through? Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like that's kind of the point, but I we get we uh, I understand what you're saying. We've basically talked about, and I mean these are sort of like mini series slash documentaries. They're not like really. I mean they're labeled as a season one because that's just how the you know the way that the the tech is right now. But like Plot Against America, The Last Dance, Tiger King, they weren't seasonal shows, right? Like there's episodes, but there's it's once and done. And I kind of wonder. I'm really really relishing how many topics and shows are really just like, hey, we're just going to do 10 one-hour shows and we're done. We're not going to like try to stretch this out. We're not going to make this, you know, into yeah. like season one, season two. Season, like, Because I knew the plot against America was just six episodes and done. But I inevitably Googled 
plot against America. And I <laughs> hit the space bar, and guess what was the first one? Season, season two. two. Autocomplete. Right? Oh, it was an autocomplete, <laughs> right? And so, like, people want to know, and they want more. And, yeah. you know, they kind of left it open because there was an interview because people are asking, like, well, what would that season look like? It wouldn't really be about the book Plot Against America's contents of the Levin family. It would be, like, a different thing. And so these show creators can create new content with the same sort of thematic elements to it, like alternate history, families in trouble, whatever. But I kind of like these single season things where it's a short commitment, you know? Like, I want to know, there's a little bit, I don't know how many people out there are listening who are like, I don't like it not knowing how many seasons this is actually going to be because I don't want to commit to, you know, like, let's say we're, what'd you say, The Expanse of Season 4, right? So we don't know how when it's going to end. Like, and some people are, might be like, well, I'll just wait till it ends and I'll start watching it or something. And so I'm not saying that people should do that because so far those, you know, you've said accolades about The Expanse. But I like the shorter, like, I know what I'm committing to. I know what the time commitment is. It's the new episode. I mean, let's go back to why do people yeah, actually consume entertainment. You know, one, escapism, to get away from the daily grind, right? Two, to see reflections of themselves and learn something about themselves as they watch it. Yep. Right. To see that's the expression of art today. Right. And anyone who invested years into a show like Game of Thrones, I think is a little more cautious now because mm-hmm. they're just not going to invest all this time emotionally and actually time space continuum sitting on a couch watching this just to see it crash and burn in front of their eyes. So I think what you're, you really latched onto something like I miss the old episodic format, uh, X-Files, <laughs> Monster of the Week, you know, Picard, you know, what's, what's the stinger on next gen. And then by the end, they're wrapping it up, you know, and that you'll you maybe yeah. revisit that, but you're doing character development all the time. But it's an hour commitment and you're out and it's a standalone Like you can story. jump in and out. You can jump in in yeah. season three and kind of still feel like you're in. Yeah. yeah. It's not oh, so important man, to have the these X-Files. huge arcs when you're just looking for basic escapism entertainment. And to make a, what you say, a four, six episode commitment? That's nothing yeah. in today's terms, you know. Yeah, I, that's not that, that's I mean, you great. Can finish, you could binge watch that in a weekend or finish it in a week if you. Yeah, yeah. Curious. Yeah. Can I throw one thing out there more about yeah, the expanse ahead. too? Because I, yeah. I I don't want to miss this. Yeah, we are a Christian libertarian show, right? We have to talk. <laughs> have to <laughs> two things that are notable in the expanse that I think might catch your attention as Christian libertarians. One is the fierce independence that is exhibited through the so-called belters the people in particular who were born and raised in the essentially in the the asteroid belt where there's a ton of mining going on and whatnot and there's this sense that you get in the series about them being kind of a on on a, a weird form of freedom fighter in in there so just kind of catching that culture is very interesting as you're paying attention to it and just how different they are as a culture from, you know, those people who were born and raised on Mars versus Belta those who were born and raised. Yeah, Belta Loda versus those who were born and raised on Earth and, and so on. So that's that's interesting. From a religious angle, something that's kind of notable is that essentially we don't hear a whole lot about religion throughout the series. But where we do is kind of particularly unusual. A major emphasis is on the way in which the Mormons have propagated themselves and are looking to create a legacy ship to go and expand beyond the reaches of the solar system itself. And won't spoil anything else there, but there's definitely 
some interesting information and even evangelism that you see from the Mormons in the, uh, in the show. It's kind of interesting. I would not have expected you to tell me that Mormons are in the expanse. I I know. Right. (laughs) So are they called Mormons or are they called like Latter-day? Is it something new that's very clearly connected or what are they called? No, they literally, they're, they're called Mormons in the show. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. That's, that's, I'm like, I'm like, really? I know. That's why I needed to say it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. I got one more thing. It's around avoidance. Uh, if you were a fan of Star Trek Next Generation, please avoid Star Trek Picard. <laughs> uh, I got my CBS All Access trial. I watched it all. Trust us, not trust good. me. Stay away. There's one guy doing a bunch of great commentary out there that I adore. Called he's a YouTube channel guy called the Critical Drinker, and he does a great review on it and why it's it's so bad. But what he does the best, I think, recently is talk about the cultural phenomenon around really deconstructing the past, canceling things from 80 years ago gone with the wind etc and he does a great job in a video called why the past matters it's worth your time to go check it out no one i think has really crystallized what's going on and why it matters in the way that uh art from the past and present is under attack from the you know woke culture type of critics critical drinkers great He's, yeah. He has a lot of good insights. And that video you're speaking of, the Why the Past Matters, is only like 10 minutes long, so it's not even that much of a commitment, but it's really well done. Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. That's all for today. Go away now. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it, seem, it seems to me that the belief that all humans have innate value because they're made in the image of God and that God loves everyone and sent his only son to die for them is a key part of what injects vibrancy into art and the storytelling that takes place in the Bible and the way it's influenced storytelling to date. I think the further we walk away from that wisdom, the more it impacts and takes away the flourishing, talking that's our main theme, right? Yeah. The flourishing, the human flourishing that we see in art. These people can't finish a story, right? One of the best parts about the Bible is we know how it ends, right? And that's a key missing part, I think, of storytelling today. You know, it just waxes on. There's so much pandering. Everything has to be political. Everything has to be viewed in a lens. What if you were just focusing on the human experience? I mean, you're talking about the expanse and humans heading to the stars. But what's one thing that hasn't changed since cave paintings and spearheads? The other, the us versus them, right? You know, that focus on that part of the human experience and help people. I mean, I'm listening to, to a ton of Jordan Peterson lately, right? And he talks all the time about one way to fix the world is fix yourself. And what's so important about looking at the history of the Nazis is realizing that they were normal people like you. Mm -hmm. He recommends all the time a book called Ordinary Men, where just these simple policemen in Germany found themselves doing atrocities 
in a matter of months. And they were just normal people in Germany. You know, I think that's a key takeaway, a, a key thing that I wish art would tell us more about ourselves. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we asked Eric to be on this show with us. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Eric, I, I don't, I don't know awesome. how to wrap up any better than that. So everyone, thanks for listening. Eric, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. And I'm sure we'll have you on to at least do this again in, in a few months or so, but maybe for some other commentary. <laughs> Next time, graphic novels. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. Excellent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute. To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calltofreedombook.com.